Welcome to Hello Health Today, where health is a leadership strategy. I'm Dr. Carmen Mohan. Joining me today as part of our Women at the Helm series is President and Chief Executive Officer of Planned Parenthood Southeast, Stacy Fox. Stacy has had a lifelong commitment to social justice and equality. She focuses on advancing the work of Planned Parenthood while making the way for the next generation of leaders fighting to protect reproductive rights and expand access to compassionate, non-judgmental healthcare. Stacy and I spoke about the resilience in justice work and how burnout is one part of that cycle. I hope that we learned some muscle memory of what it, of what burnout feels like, uh, because I think sometimes we don't know we're there until we're way there. You know, I mean, until it's just we've sunk in very deep into it. We have to let go of shame and stigma if we want to be our full selves. It was sort of an aha moment for me that I thought if we don't start fighting against the shame and stigma, we're going to be in these political fights sort of time and time again. So I think it's so important to talk about the beauty of our bodies and what they can do for us and how they change. Stacy, welcome to Hello Health Today. Thanks, Carmen, for having me. I'm so excited to spend some time with you today. Stacey, I just wanted to make sure I express my gratitude for Planned Parenthood. Thank you for the work you've been doing for decades. Over 15 years in medicine, I've had to refer many patients to Planned Parenthood because the institutions I worked for at the time didn't provide comprehensive women's health services. Planned Parenthood has always helped me get my patients what they needed. Thanks, Carmen. We take a lot of pride in making sure that everybody walks through our doors feeling loved and supported and that we're providing high quality, non-judgmental healthcare every day. In reading your bio, I noticed one point we have in common. We both participated in the March for Women's Rights. So I was in the crowd with my husband and my friends while you were actually rallying crowds of 65,000 people. How was it for you that day? Well, I remember it was a rainy morning and we were we all kept thinking, is the march gonna happen? Is it not gonna happen? And the organizers were expecting maybe 15,000 people to show up and 65,000 people showed up in the rain and the clouds broke and we marched from the Center for Civil and Human Rights down to Liberty Plaza. And I remember having to jump out of the crowd with a friend and like run down Peachtree to get down to be able to speak <laughs> because I couldn't get through the crowds. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, to stand there next to my heroes and sheroes and, um, and look at those beautiful faces of activists uh, was a day I will never forget. I'll never forget John Lewis at the front of the crowd. And um, he was my representative for so long. I think I voted for him maybe six or seven times even. I really miss him. I miss him too. He was a, I have a, a couple of really amazing Congressman Lewis stories, but uh, he was a big Planned Parenthood fan. He came down in the middle of a hurricane from DC to help us cut a ribbon on a brand new health center. And we were about to cut the ribbon and he said, where's my pink t-shirt? And I said, hold on, <laughs> ran in, he, you so know, the t-shirt. <laughs> I got to vote next to him um, for Hillary Clinton in the election. And my favorite John Lewis story was, I showed up to the airport to fly to Jackson, Mississippi for the second grand opening of the Civil Rights Museum because uh, someone I won't name their name, uh, ruined the first one. And I showed up to the gate and there was Congressman Lewis in his tuxedo with his luggage by himself. 
And I said, Congressman, is there no one with you? And so I just took it upon myself to become his handler. I told my team, I was like, I'll meet you at the other side, called to get him a ride. And I happened to get to sit literally right behind him on the plane and watching everybody walk on that plane and see that amazing human in his tuxedo um, was one of the biggest joys of my life. And the woman sitting next to me said, how long have you worked for the congressman? And I said, 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But I miss him too. Do you think rallies and marches like those um, Congressman Lewis believed in are effective methods for moving justice work forward? I think so. I think they serve a couple of purposes, and I think it depends on the timing and the issue, right? But I think we as humans need to be proximate to other humans uh, when we feel like we're fighting for justice and freedom and knowing that we're not alone in the fight. And those days uh, recharge my batteries like nothing other. And, And I think it also helps the rest of the world know that you know, we're not just people in a little social media box spouting off. This is a movement. And, you know, we I think because we have gotten so dependent on social media, we've forgotten what the movement part of the movement feels like. So I think those days are really critical. You know, I, I think you're right about the the feeling of the movement because the energy of the crowds when we rally and march is palpable. Yeah. I love the chance. I'm a cheerleader. I was, was literally a cheerleader, but I'm also a cheerleader at heart. So, you know, I love the chance. I love all the posters. I, I love a protest t-shirt. Uh, my partner always says, do you have to buy one more? I said, yes, I have to buy them all. I have a closet full of them. Uh, I've got one on today, I feel like. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that one's a good one, got to say. <laughs> You've dedicated your career to reproductive health and justice. How did you come to develop such a deep and abiding commitment to this work? You know, Carmen, to be honest, it really has grown while I've been in the work. You know, when I was in college, I uh, got pregnant. I didn't have sex till I went to college. And no one, I didn't get any sex ed growing up. And um, my freshman year in college, I got pregnant and knew that I was not ready to be a parent or partner with the person I was with and drove alone to Atlanta to have an abortion. And, you know, years went by. I was uh, really active in college. I became a peer sexuality educator because I felt so, so moved to help other people get the information they need to make informed decisions because I didn't have that. Um, You know, I helped start our diversity awareness week and, uh, you know, just got really involved in justice issues and Then I found Planned Parenthood. I didn't know Planned Parenthood growing up. I grew up in a pretty conservative family and we certainly didn't talk about sex and or politics or anything else. And so I found my way to Planned Parenthood. And, you know, 25 years later, I can talk about bodily autonomy and freedom in a way that I couldn't have talked about it 25 years ago. But thank goodness I found my way to those doors 25 years ago. Wow, wow. I was in the audience during the Planned Parenthood gala hosted at the aquarium a few years back, Mm -hmm. and I remember watching you take the stage. So the room was filled with important political candidates like now Senator John Ossoff. Mm -hmm. He was running for office in his first campaign Mm -hmm. at the time, and there were business leaders from across the southeast there. How do you prepare yourself to take the stage in a room like that? Mm -hmm. Well, let's just take a moment and celebrate that we can now call my friend, John uh, Ossoff, (laughs) Senator Ossoff, 
whose wife is uh, OBGYN and has worked with us here at Planned Parenthood. I've at my alma mater. She trained at my yeah, alma mater yeah. at Marie University. I, yeah. um, they're good friends. I was proud to be at their wedding. Um, I, you know, what if, it's funny that you asked that question. I love those moments. It's kind of like being at a march to me, just looking out and seeing the crowd. For me, I don't do well with a printed script. You know, I need to know, you know, what are the top lines? What are the things I need to say? But I need to have a conversation, whether I'm at a podium or just talking one-on-one. And I'm much more comfortable when I approach it that way, as opposed to just, you know, reading something somebody has typed up for me. I always think about our Shiro uh, Stacy Abrams. I mean, I that woman, oh my like gosh. no other, can, you know, just pull an amazing speech, like just right, right out of thin air. Oh my gosh, um, yes. She has mad skills in that way, and I aspire to be that way, but... But I think about it as a conversation. And listen, I love this work that we do. And it's easy for me to talk about that, right? All the great things that we're doing and celebrate that and, you know, to kind of charge people up. Um, that's a that's the easy kind part of. of the job. <laughs> oh, I left that gala feeling supercharged. Oh. And I had like, you know, I made friends with everybody at my table. <laughs> I love so it. So I had like 12 new friends. Yes, I love that. <laughs> I know. I miss that we haven't been able to do those in person over the last year. But um, (sighs) next year, hopefully, you'll um, join us at the zoo. The zoo. zoo. Oh, fantastic. Okay, I'll be there. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I'm so excited to have it at the zoo because I don't think a lot of people know, but zoologists use human birth control for animals. Like they give birth control pills to monkeys and implants for giraffes. And so there's this real cool symbiosis between our work. That's so interesting, actually. I don't think most people know. Even I, I knew that, but it wouldn't have been something I'd ever thought to mention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to me that Planned Parenthood was founded in the middle of or even as a result of political strife. Mm. Do you purposely stride toward the middle of tumult? Mm. <laughs> like, you guys don't back away. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I think our origins are interesting. You know, I think our... Um, our founder is problematic. You know, she said some, and did some problematic things that we don't align with our values today. But if it weren't for Do you her, mean Margaret, Margaret Sanger? Margaret Sanger, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but if it weren't for Margaret, we wouldn't have access to birth control today. You know, she helped pioneer that. And, uh, you know, and we've taken it the next level, you know, to include access to safe and legal abortion and include the political work. Because unfortunately... If we don't do the political work, our doors don't stay open. I mean, I hope to see a day that I don't have to spend my time doing political work. I just do it because I want to. But this is a real fight for freedom and autonomy. And I see the work that we do at Planned Parenthood as part of a larger ecosystem of partners fighting for freedom and autonomy in different ways, whether it's voter rights or um, our, you know, bodily autonomy. I think they're intrinsically connected. And yeah, I mean, I don't think we're looking for a fight, but we, we definitely aren't going to back down from one, whether it's in a courtroom or on a street or in the capitals or, you know, literally fighting for our patients every day to get safe access to our clinics. You know, there are not many people who have to worry about protesters every day out front of their clinics for their staff and their patients and something we have to at Planned Parenthood. So I think it's the thing that makes us resilient and you know, from my personal life and my professional life, I have learned to become incredibly resilient. Uh, and that's, we, you know, we get back up and, and, and fight 
you know, I remember, um, some people might remember uh, the year that there was a shooting at a Planned Parenthood in Colorado Springs. I do remember. It was over Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. um, And I'll never forget that day, uh, the next Monday, every one of our staff showed up. Our doors were open. 2016, after we lost the election and we thought the hope hope for access to safe and legal abortion was over, every one of our staff got up and came to work that day. Our doors were open. And that's our mantra at Planned Parenthood. These doors stay open. We haven't closed our doors through a pandemic. We've done things differently. You know, uh, patients sometimes sit in their car waiting room instead of our actual waiting room. Um, But these doors stay open. And that's our battle cry. And so I know our listeners can't see it, but I have tears in my eyes um, because to be a healthcare provider is hard enough. And then to ha- try to do your work when there are people shouting horrible things at you personally, mm-hmm. um, it, it can be, it can really wear you down. How do you buffer yourself and your team against people who don't opt to respectfully disagree, but make it a point to cause harm? Well, you know, Carmen, first and foremost, we take security very seriously, you know, and every staff person or volunteer that joins our team, you know, I take the time to look them in the eye and say, listen, from the top down, and that isn't, I don't even like saying that, that's not even how we work, <laughs> but from my, from my seat to yours, you know, I want you and your family and those who love you know that how we take your security very seriously. Um, and the other thing is we have a really strict non-engagement policy. Uh, you know, unfortunately, protesters have the right to be out there on a sidewalk. But, you know, and I've had 25 years in this career, and I can talk about freedom and bodily autonomy and safe and legal abortion, like nobody. But, you know, they've spent their whole life developing their own values. And, you know, even five minutes with me is not going to change their mind, and puts me in an unsafe mental space, and possible physical space. So we do our best to uh, walk past them. And we have lovely escorts and volunteers that come and help our patients do that every day. And one of our health centers, um, actually in my own neighborhood this summer, got an increased activity of protesters that we had never seen before. And the community came out, Carmen, they bought these beautiful pink umbrellas and they walked oh, around the property being a beautiful. human shield between the protesters and the patients because the patients were having to sit in their cars. It was really amazing. I, I love it when people just, it's easier for us to stand up when we're together, but I love that visual of the pink the pink barrier, the pink protector, the pink bubble. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say is that we don't shy away from talking about the hard things. We do active shooter drills. We talk about what it means to find a suspicious package on site. We have to help our teams feel prepared. So um, that's those are things that we do every day at Planned Parenthood. Stacey, did you know I was the medical director for the race, the first half marathon to be hosted south of I-20? And because we thought there might be a racially motivated mass event, I was responsible for securing um, the the safety zones and getting volunteers from the community in southeast Atlanta mm-hmm. to really rally. And, you know, every single facility I called, so we're talking churches and youth centers, all of them opened our doors and had someone on site if need be. Oh, wow. It just speaks to when you ask people to rise that they don't even hesitate. Yeah. It wasn't like me having to persuade them. Yeah. I hope that's the same for you. Yeah, it is. It is. I don't know if you know, but um, we just this week – 
here in Atlanta, 24 bakers in the middle of a pandemic when their business is so hard for the fifth year, um, put together a box of cookies. They all baked 500 cookies. And those boxes, Carmen, sold out in four hours. We, Amazing. we sold 500 <laughs> boxes of cookies in four hours and raised $35,000. So oh, fantastic. even in a pandemic, when people's businesses have been hard hit, they are still showing up. It, it, it just warms my heart. And they're creative. Yeah. They're creative yeah. about it. Yeah. I've come to believe there's a cycle to service work and burnout is one phase within that cycle. There's a cost to doing justice work or any work that we love. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think that really is true. And I think as leaders, you know, also balancing our own humanity as well as the care for others is hard. So for four years, a little over four years now, I've been talking about something called a stagnated note. And I'm not a musician, but I heard someone describe it as a very long note that either a bunch of musicians or vocalists hold in a piece of music. And the beauty of that note is that there are a lot of people present for the note. So if somebody has to take a breath to come back to their saxophone or their alto voice, there are you know three or four other people holding that note. And that's what I think about when I think about this work is that it's okay to take a breath because, you know, just going back to that March visualization that we were talking about where we were both there in 2017, just think about, you know, the collective breathtaking of some in the crowd while others are chanting, you know, and then those people take a breath and you get back to chanting. Come back when you can, take a breath when you need to. The work is always here. We had a hard night last night here in Georgia um, when it comes to access to voting and uh, I remember I saw on Twitter last night a meme from one of the, one of the organizations that's holding the most space in this work and this fight right now, New Georgia Project, and their message was, go rest. The lawyers have got this. Go rest. We will be back at this fight tomorrow. So we have to remind ourselves that the work continues and that other people are going to come up and, and pick up the pieces when we need to take a break. And I love it that rest is part of the work. Yes. Like rest is not stepping away from the work. Yeah. Rest is part of the work. Yeah. Well, because I think this, this rush, this franticness is a tool of white supremacy, right? And that we have to remind ourselves that we are human. And I think a lot of our systems and cultures and institutions have been built around generating money and profit and, you know, um, ROI, uh, and that harms people, right? And so we have to remember those tools and the harm that they do and work against them every day. And that's where rest comes in, right? Rest is a tool, a tool of the movement. And, you know, I, I think what really happens during rest is not allowing the people we'd like to stand against to drive the complete agenda, mm -hmm. that we can create our own agenda that we push for mm -hmm. instead of always reacting yeah. or having to react. Right. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. In your view, are there lessons to be gained in recovering from burnout? So we step away. What are the lessons that we get after we've burned out? Yeah, I hope that we learn some muscle memory of what it, of what burnout feels like, uh, because I think sometimes we don't know we're there until we're way there. You know, I mean, until it's just we've sunken very deep into it. And so I try to remind myself of what does my body do? Like for me personally, 
my back goes out when I, when I've had it, you know, when I just, my body is like, no, you weren't listening to me. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to literally take you down. And, um, but you know, that it is, that's a signal. My, you know, my body's signaling to me that my, my mind has been trying to tell me something that I wasn't listening to in my heart. And so I think just as that connectivity of, I know, you know, back going out is sort of a dramatic thing, but there are, there are other signals, you know, um, if we're not sleeping, if we can't focus, if we've lost our joy and our authenticity, you know, those are signals that we're getting burnt out and that we need to find the ways to take care of ourselves so that we can come back in our full and best selves. Last year, I was honored to facilitate a mini workshop for your leadership team. Thank you so much for having me. Was it useful? Oh, Carmen, thank you so much for jumping right in. I remember hearing you speak at a Leadership Atlanta event and thinking, oh, my team needs some of Carmen's magic. And uh-huh. it, it, was in, it was incredibly useful because I think people just need tools and language and words and systems. You know, it's hard to find those on your own, especially when you're in the work. So to have an expert uh, who is kind and generous and so accessible, like you are, Carmen, um, it just gives everybody a gift to say, you use this. And I think what I've heard from my team is you gave us a gift that is sort of seed planting. It was really helpful that day, but it's something they got to take with them that they can go back and use when they need it if they didn't need it that day. So thank you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It was my pleasure. Um, One more question before we take a short break. What sorts of good habits does someone who wants to become an advocate for justice need to be successful? Good habits. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that we have to... I'm thinking about that, Carmen. I think we one of the habits that we need to find is the the work of repair and healing. Um, I think I think when you're we use the word fight a lot, you know, in the movement, and I don't think it really characterizes the movement, right? The the movement work. We're not we are fighting because we have a we're some there's something we're opposed to, right? But I think that our, the habit that we have to get ourselves into is healing, lifting, sharing, um, and using what we have for others, you know, sharing the mic, sharing the stage, sharing the power and privilege that we have as people or organizations. I think about that all the time at Planned Parenthood because we're a large organization. We're a well-known brand. And I think, what can we do to help, you know? And so sometimes we'll you know, we'll raise money and give, pass it through to others. You know, we did that in the runoff elections here. New Georgia Project is doing the work. You know, they're the ones doing the work on the ground. So it was our job to lift them up. So we raised money for them, not for us. You know, while we were in the midst of tragedy here in Atlanta, um, after the domestic terrorism and mass murder, you know, we have to lift up the voices of those doing the work and not take up the space ourselves. And I think about this in my career, you know, I turned 50 this year, so which I'm very excited about. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm starting to think of myself as an elder states human, you know, in the movement, oh, no. <laughs> no, which is good. You know, I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm fully comfortable with where I am. 
But I think at this stage in my career and those uh, like me, that our job is to be a brush clearer. Like my job every day is to make it easier for those coming um, alongside me uh, who, are, who are picking up the work uh, in whatever way I can and giving them the mic and the stage and allowing them to try and learn and, and fail because we learn from failing too. So uh, those aren't tangible habits, they're more behavioral habits, but those are the things that come to mind you know, for people that want to be, if you're angry, you know, it's kind of like that non-engagement thing I was talking about. If you're angry, you got to go work that out before you come into the movement or you show up to escort at Planned Parenthood. This is not the space for that. Uh, it might sound cheesy, but like this, this movement work is about love and healing. And that's what we have to center on every day. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that. We are going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Did you know, women only have about 15% share of the voice distributed by main media. Last year, only 21% of top charting podcasts had a female host. This is because we need more ratings and reviews. We need you. This is the only time we'll ever ask you to stop listening. Hit the pause button. Take the time right now to rate and review us. Help us change the stats. That way, we can be here when you're ready to listen again. My guest today is Stacy Fox, President and CEO of Planned Parenthood Southeast. Stacy, could you give us a glimpse into what a day in the life of the President and CEO of the nation's oldest and largest provider of family planning services might be? <laughs> I love that question. You know, the beauty of this work, Carmen, is no day is the same. Uh, you never know what's going to come at you at Planned Parenthood, and you just have to be ready for that. I, I get to work with the most amazing humans in this work, and every day, you know, um, we have team members that are showing up to open our doors and provide health care. We have team members providing education in our communities. And we have team members organizing our communities and pushing back against laws that are harmful uh, to our communities. And getting to work alongside those people is just the honor and privilege of my lifetime. You know, um, my job is to make sure that all the wheels are turning on the bus and that the, there's enough air in the tires and the seats are comfortable and equitable uh, and that there's um, the, the windshield is clear uh, and that everybody's on the bus that needs to be on the bus and, um, and that we have a map and that we know where we're going and we have enough money for gas and food. So I would say yeah. that's what my job is every day. <laughs> you fought for the rights of others for so long. When do you actually have time to focus on yourself? Well, I, I, will, I would say two things. One is, you know, I love my job and fighting for freedom feeds my soul, you know, so there, there is something really special about doing movement work that is unlike, I think, a lot of other careers. You get this really cool blend of what I think a lot of people spend their volunteer time doing that I get to do at work. But that also means that I, ha I have to take a break. And I've learned that over the years, um, I think we were talking about earlier, you know, my body taught me pretty early on. And so my mind Poor caught back. up. I know. I'm so sad for your back. <laughs> well, that's when we lean on massage therapists and yes. uh, chiropractors. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, um, 
I, I know that I can't be good for the movement and my team if I don't take a break and take care of myself. I have an amazing partner who I enjoy spending life with and I don't want to miss out on life. Um, I'm a um, work hard, play hard kind of person. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm never going to miss a moment for fun and I try to bring fun into work too. Uh, my joy is my center and when I lose it, I know I got to go take the time to go get it back. Wow. Have you ever had a personal time of feeling burned out? Yeah, <laughs> um, a lot, actually. You know, I, um, I can say most recently, I know we've all, it's hard to kind of talk about the last year, um, but I think, you know, there's burnout in all kinds of ways talking about in the pandemic. And I can tell you in 2019, we had abortion bans that were introduced in all three of the states. So our uh, work covers Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. And I used to joke and call them the easy, you know, progressive, well-funded states. But, you know, after 2019, it just didn't feel funny anymore. We were fighting against um, horrible, horrible attacks against bodily autonomy and freedom and choice. And I have a pretty small team. You know, we're a fairly small Planned Parenthood as compared to others. And there was national leadership transition going on at the same time. So we had no support from our national office. So it was me and our one communications person at the time, you know, being in a new study studio and jumping in the car and driving to another city, you know, to another capital for weeks on end. And that wore me out. And I had to take a break after that, which was so hard because there was so much work to do, you know. Yes, the work just keeps it, it going. Never ends. It never doesn't stop. Um, mm -hmm. But that's when you have to lean on others. And I think as a leader, it's your job to build a team that does the work and fills the gaps on where you don't have skills. But also, you know, you've got to build the trust and respect with your team that you know when you take a break uh, that you can leave it, you know, and at Planned Parenthood Southeast, we kind of have a, a, a rule around when you take breaks, you either take a break and you're, you can do either and you have to do both in the year. You can take a break and still be available, you know, um, but you also have to do the turn off break. Like I'm not available. I'm going to oh, be, you make it a rule. Yeah. You make it a rule for everyone yeah. that everyone has to take. Oh, I love that. So you, you can do either, you know, when you take a break, but you need to define it and you need to say, I'm, I am, this is my, I'm not available break, but this is like, I'm taking a break. I might check an email or something for an hour. Uh, I, I'll be available on text. Um, and I think we have to allow ourselves to do both because I think that that thought of like self-care and taking a break when it's just this hard off switch creates more anxiety, I think, and makes us not want to do it. So I think allowing us to take breaks and work half days or sort of be half in and half out gives us a little bit of room to breathe, which allows us to trust the time when we need to take the full off break. Interesting. I love that idea. I'm going to pass that forward because some of my uh, justice-oriented leaders really have a hard time taking a break at all, mm. like no yeah. weekends, yeah. no no nights. They just they work all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that really would resonate with them. Thank you. Yes, of course. How do you maintain your sense of personal energy now? Mm. Um, I'm a glass half full person. You know, I, I feel like I 
you know, as a camp counselor, <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like I, a cheerleader yes, and yes. a camp counselor. I, um, <laughs> I wake up brilliant fundraiser. I mean, we're, <laughs> I wake, I wake up with my glass half full and you know, my job is to keep it there, um, for myself and for my team. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking for inspiration these days, you know, whether it's a book or a podcast. I love music. I miss live music the most right oh, now. Oh, yes. I had this oh. big plan for, you know, my 50th year on the planet to go see 50 live concerts. Um, wow, cool. <laughs> hopefully that'll still happen. Um, but, you know, I, I think you have to balance uh, balance that out. And also, don't forget that you're still learning and growing, right? Because I think that for me, if I get to the point where I feel like I don't have the energy or the inspiration to learn or grow, then it's time to move on. You know, I think that we have to be looking as leaders and as humans in this movement of being open to growth, personal growth, professional growth, leadership growth, um, and doing that work and taking the time. And so I would say back to our rest point, that's part of our rest too is is thinking strategically or doing some generative um, conversing with experts or your kitchen cabinet or doing work to grow your mind and your skills, that's rest too. Um, and I think we have to think about that um, and make sure that's part of our plan. Wow. I love that. You know, you've mentioned joy, play, you've mentioned growth. And that's what keeps you going and gives you career stamina. Mm-hmm. You've also mentioned that within the cycle of burnout, recognizing that it's there and that it's part of the work and accepting that so easily. And then the other thing I love about what you've said so far is that um, anger is not the place. This is not the place for anger. This is the place for healing. Mm-hmm. Um, no wonder you've been able to keep such a rising star propelling. Mm. Thanks, Carmen. You know, I was reading, I shared a book with my senior team recently uh, that was written by a former sex educator, but she wrote a great book on burnout. And she talks about separating the stress from the stressor um, and the need to physically complete the stress cycle when we're confronted with stress. And that's been a really cool learning for me recently. And I'm naming that, I find that myself naming that for my my own purposes is if I'm experiencing stress, I know I need, I've got to close the loop on the stress. Otherwise I'm going to continue to hold it, you know, and she talks about like deep belly laughs or some <laughs> exercising or a hug, you know, those things that we do to kind of just break that cycle of stress in the moment. And, uh, I heard she has a great uh, podcast, I mean, a um, um, TED talk out there. But anyways, I look for those kinds of things for myself and share them with the team. And, you know, sometimes we'll just, you know, have those conversations as a team about those tools and resources. But that's been the latest gift for me is like, you know, I just say to my partner, I need a hug. I need you to complete my stress yeah. cycle. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about that is part of the stress of COVID that's made justice work so hard is the team not being physically mm-hmm. together. So not being able to de-stress and complete that stress cycle by just hugging each other. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the only people who understand the stress are the people who do the work alongside you. That's so true. And so that's that's one thing I'm looking forward to. 
um, everyone having back again is yes. literally being able to hug people mm-hmm. or even touch them on the shoulder mm-hmm. and it not be a threat. Right. Yeah. right? <laughs> I know. I, I've been thinking about that too, Carmen. It's so funny you bring it up because I'm worried that I'm going to, people are going to think I'm creepy because I'm going to hold on to hugs much yeah, I'm longer. Yeah, going to hold on to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> And someone will have to say, I'm okay, that's enough, Stacey. Stacey, you can come hug me anytime. (laughs) We might just have to have some hug therapy, Carmen. That sounds great. (laughs) When we think about personal health, many of us compare our bodies as they are now to how they used to be back Mm -hmm. in our 20s. If there were one thing you could tell your 20-year-old self about good self-care or personal well-being, what would it be? Oh, you know what? I wish... My younger self understood shame and stigma in the way that I do today. Um, I think our our bodies are beautiful. You know, and I'm turning 50. I'm in the throes of menopause. I have hot flashes, you know, all those things. Um, And and I have zits at 50. I'm like, how is this possible (laughs) to have all of that? But but the biggest thing that I've learned doing this work is the power of pain, of shame and stigma. And, you know, for me, Carmen, going back to what I was talking about when we were fighting the 2019 bans was sort of an aha moment for me that I thought if we don't start fighting against the shame and stigma, we're going to be in these political fights sort of time and time again. So I think it's so important to talk about the beauty of our bodies and what they can do for us and how they change. Um, I think curves are so sexy and I love my curves. (laughs) And, you know, I think that I, spent too much time fighting against having the curves. And I, every sort of decade of my life, I keep saying this has been the best decade. And I would say that to my younger self, like it's only going to get better. Get better. You're going to feel more free and more comfortable in your skin than you do now. And I hope that you find that freedom and comfort sooner. I asked that question because you mentioned the next generation of leaders. You mentioned it earlier um, before the break, but you also mentioned it pretty much everywhere that you go, that it's your job to help the next generation of leaders. So when you think about this next generation coming up, which by the way, includes my two daughters, what's your greatest wish? My greatest wish is that they get to define the work and then the work isn't defining them. You know, I think whether it's language, labels, uh, these political fights that I don't think belong in political spaces. You know, my wish for them is that they can be their full authentic selves. And if we're just not putting people in boxes anymore, I, um, I really lament that. And I, it makes me very sad the way, the way that we do that. And, you know, I think we're all learning and evolving about how not to do it, but it's people like, tiny humans like your daughters who are evolving without those constraints. And I hope for them that those constraints don't find them because they've found us. And uh, this, this is part of the battle that we're in for freedom. And so I hope better for them. Thank you. Because when we look back, I'll, I'll know whether we succeeded or not, but it's such a retrospective uh, standard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We, we hardly know. And that's leadership, right? Yeah, for sure. You don't know. Yeah. We just do the best we can where we're we at do. with what we have. <laughs> I say that all the time at, here at Planned Parenthood Southeast because, like I said, you know, our budget is much smaller than Planned Parenthood's, you know, on the East Coast and on the West Coast. Um, and, 
we just have to give each other grace. Grace has been my word for the last, you know, year, year and a half. We just have to lead with grace because we're, we're going to try, we're going to fail. And hopefully we learn from those things, but let's not beat each other up when we do. Um, And I think, you know, at Planned Parenthood, one of the things I love is that we can lead with who we are as sexual beings and part of the healing and the rest and the space that we all have to give ourselves and fighting against the shame and the stigma is that that is part of who we are. And if we ignore that part of who we are, we're not our whole selves. So I think that would be the other thing I hope for your daughters and I hope for younger leaders is that they honor their uh, the sexual their sexuality and the, um, their sexualness and uh, and how that shows up for them and that they feel free to be who they are in those sexual spaces in a safe way. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How can our listeners best help you and Planned Parenthood? I mean, one thing I'm thinking is let's change that um, Southeast region is a lower budget. That doesn't sound right. Yeah, yeah I'm, uh, thanks for that, Carmen. I wouldn't be a good fundraiser <laughs> if I didn't say, you know, we, um, we need your support at Planned Parenthood Southeast. You know, we are, like I said, we're, we're working against some pretty historical deep-seated health disparities. You know, women are dying in our states because they want to be pregnant and have families and they can't get the care they need. Um, you know, and because of these political restrictions, uh, people who want to access safe and legal abortion are driving miles more than one time to get access to care and having to overcome barriers they shouldn't have to. So, you know, you can join that uh, fight for freedom by supporting us. I think the other thing I'll say, there's sort of two ends of that spectrum. It's like dig in, you know, if you want to get involved as a volunteer or a board member or escort. Um, But the other thing I think that's really powerful, Carmen, is for people to tell their stories which is why I shared with you today that I had an abortion in college. And I'm really glad that that was available to me um, at that time. And I think that it's not that people have to get on a podcast and share their story or get up in front of a crowd and tell their story, but they should tell their daughters and their nieces and their friends and their family um, and, and make space for a story if you don't have one. Oh, and by the way, don't tell a story if it's not yours, you know, yeah, um, yeah. but share your stories because this is part of the work around shame and stigma is that we've taken our, our bodies um, and how they show up, our sexuality, and we've put them in a box and we don't talk about them. And we think that's, that's what it should be. And that's the acceptable norm culture. We've got to change that culture. And I think we do that by telling one story at a time. And that's part of the work that we do at Planned Parenthood. We have a canvassing program in Mississippi. We're knocking on doors um, in non-COVID times, obviously, but knocking on doors, talking (laughs) about abortion. We're lifting up storytellers who feel safe. uh, We have a great civic dinner platform in Georgia that we've launched where you can bring friends around the dinner table to talk about sex and sexuality and safe legal abortion. So I think you can do all of those things. It's time for action steps for the day or key takeaways, either one. Stacey, how can we take good care of ourselves so that we can continue to serve the world? So a few things on my mind I would share, Carmen. First of all, I think you heard me say earlier, but, you know, put on your protest T-shirt, your favorite sneak, your comfortable sneakers, 
um, you know, whatever, whatever your body feels comfortable in to show up for the work every day. And I think the past year has given us that gift of comfort. And I think we need to lean more into that. So I have um, Stacey Abrams for Governor t-shirt on Yoo-hoo, today. Abrams. <laughs> That's my protest my t-shirt today. Um, favorites. <laughs> I, I love a blazer, a protest t-shirt, some jeans and a good pair of heels. That's mine. The other thing I would say is um, that we have to share the mic and the space when we can. You know, I think a lot of us have space and privilege, whether it's professionally or personally. And I think we have to figure out how we share that um, and make it uh, use our power for good for others. Uh, And the last thing I would say is, you know, I think um, we talk about this a lot when crisis happened, but I hope that people carry this through with them every day, whether, you know, you like to pour a glass of wine or, you know, buy a a nice sweet treat for yourself or a new pair of earrings. I have um, a pair of earrings on today from one of my favorite black owned jewelry companies called Missouri. They're um, golden hoops. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Um, but I think that, like, find the places to bring you joy that also support others. You know, my favorite Chardonnay is from a Napa estate called um, the Brown Estate. They have a great B label called the House of Brown. The label is gorgeous. Um, you know, like I said, I found these great hoops from a black-owned um, jewelry maker. You know, um, women businesses like, you know, Sarah O'Brien and the work she does every day at Little Tart, uh, you know, are great treats for myself. And I think that is one of the things that we can do to take action is loving ourselves by loving others and supporting their businesses. And the last thing I'll say, Carmen, today, um, my action, I have a little list uh, on my desk. Oh, fantastic. Um, Wow. And today uh, has the governor's phone number on it. And I'm wow. not gonna um, not gonna go to bed today without having called the governor and tell him what I think about his actions last night to suppress the vote in Georgia. And I think that goes back to telling the story and using our voice. Um, phone calls, emails are easy to do. And I think until we hold the people that we put in office accountable for their work, um, then we're not doing our jobs. So make that make that an action item when it's important to you. Stacey Fox, you're a personal hero of mine. It's been lovely chatting with you. Carmen, thank you for this gift today of just getting to talk about the things that mean so much to me. And um, I know the listeners can't see, but I've been able to see your glowing, beautiful smile today. And that's brought me a lot of joy. So thank you for the time and thank you for having me. And thank you for being willing to have Planned Parenthood in your space. Absolutely. I'm a supporter and have been for many, many years. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hello Health Today, and thank you to everyone who rated and reviewed the show last week. We are up by three times as many ratings, and it's really helped the show. As always, action steps, contact information, and social handles are posted in the show notes, so check them out. Until next time, remember, today is good. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Because I am a medical doctor, it's important for me to tell you that nothing I say here in this podcast can substitute for your doctor's advice. My lawyers make me say the same thing this way. The contents of this podcast are neither intended nor implied to be relied on for medical diagnosis, care, or treatment concerning any individual. 
Under no circumstances does this podcast create a physician-patient relationship, nor does it constitute engagement in the practice of medicine or the provision of any healthcare service to an individual patient. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Consult a healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or to obtain guidance about any medical conditions. The producers of this podcast expressly disclaimed responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of reliance on the information contained in this podcast.